be there tonight. Um, and I know y'all have been getting an absolute fire hydrant of information this whole day. Um, so I'm going to try not to be forever. Um, but I'm going to let <coughs> Romans 8 preach itself. And we're going uh, to dive in and let the Word of God do something epic in us. And so let me pray for us again. Uh, that was a beautiful prayer, but I just always feel led to pray before I preach. I don't think I did it last night, so let's do that, and then we'll dive in for a little while. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, uh, man, thank you for taking the beating that I deserved on that cross. Father, thank you for being uh, authentically you. Thank you for being uh, 100% God, but also 100% man that we can relate to. And so, Father, I pray right now as we dive into your word, as we close our last session together, um, that, Lord, we know we've learned something. We know that uh, we need rest. However that works out for us, Father, I pray we would interpret that. I pray, Lord, that um, your word would just be our ever-piercing um, book that we can dive into and just uh, learn from. And so, uh, Father, be with us. I pray as we leave this weekend, as we leave tonight, God, that everything we've absorbed, that we would take time to reflect and that we would take time to really put into practical manners, um, Father, and that this wouldn't just be another conference that they heard some information or the word, but there'd be something that, um, that we would be doers of, that a man that uh, looks intently at the word of God but didn't do it, it says like a man who, or a woman who looks at themselves in the mirror and immediately walks away and forgets what they look like. So I pray that the, the, the obedience of the word of God would be um, every one of our calling and heart, Father. We love you, St. Christ, let me pray. Amen. So as a preacher, all right, as a preacher, I've, uh, my, you know, I've learned that my audience is not just the church. It's not just lost people. It's not just you guys as, and girls as college and career people. But um, my audience is also myself as a preacher. And you heard uh, Joe kind of say it earlier, which is kind of the theme of tonight is you got to learn to preach to yourself. You got to learn, like I said last night, you got to learn how to command yourself to hope in God. And you've got to learn to preach to yourself. You've got to learn how to let your fears uh, take or, or your faith overtake your fear and not allow to be drowned out. And so what I'm going to show you in Romans 8 is really just six practical ways to preach to yourself out of this beautiful chapter. I believe Romans 8 is the greatest chapter uh, in the Bible. All right, Paul uh, just writes just an incredible amount of depth. But I pray that as much as I know and I see you, a lot of you love Romans 8, I, I pray that it would just be uh, just beautiful, not in content, but also um, and, and just moving in your spirit as you continue to, to walk through your days as a Christian, all right? And so um, here, I'm going to give you a definition of preaching to yourself real quick. I, this is what I've written down. The preaching to yourself is this. This is the activity, all right? It takes action. It's the activity of proclaiming to oneself the good news of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. So it is the activity of proclaiming, all right, um, to oneself, the good news of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. So you're all preachers. You might not be called to stand in a pulpit like me or Johnny or any of these cats up here leading worship, but you're all preachers. You know why? You're all proclaimers of the gospel to somebody. Uh, but mainly, it needs to be first to yourself. You see, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he did say as yourself. It's okay to love yourself. Life's not about you. Christianity's not about you. Um, and what I mean by that is I'm not talking prosperity. I'm not talking, I'm not putting you at the center of the Bible. What I am saying is this. Um, if you are dry yourself, how are you going to feed others? Right? How are you going to the, bring them something to drink if you yourself are starving, if you're thirsty? Like, you've got to take care of yourself. And, and I think there are six ways in this, in this chapter you're going to see. But you see, Paul wrote this letter, all right? And, and Paul, y'all, y'all, if you know Paul's story, you recognize that that dude was a murderer of people like me and you. He would hear of things like this. He would walk in it. He would ravage us. He would take us out. He'd put us into prison. He might have us stoned. I mean, he was the witness of a ton of deaths. And so for a man like Paul to write 
on a, a chapter like Romans 8 is beautiful. Because I, I'm one of those guys, I don't like to compare my circumstance or my sin to other people. But, it, but if you are like that, if you are at all like that, just know Saul has you beat with the way he killed Christians, the, the way he was a pharisaical nightmare, uh, the way he condemned Christianity. Uh, man, just know that if, if grace can save this dude, he can save you. Uh, and so Romans 8 is just a testimony to that freedom uh, and, and the liberation that God gives us through uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, of course, you know, Saul was knocked off his donkey, his horse, whatever you want to call it, uh, on the way to Damascus uh, to, to kill more Christians. And so Jesus reveals himself. Paul's eyes or Saul's eyes are open. Christ saves them. He even asks him, who are you, Lord? So he answers his own question, right? And then he goes in this immediate time of reflection, and Ananias walks up to him after debating with God. I'm not going to go talk to this murderer and, and speaks to him. And then Jesus says to this to Ananias, he says, hey, this guy must, shown how much he, must su- he must be shown how much he must suffer for the kingdom of God. That was now his will. So if you think, if you think Christianity is about not suffering and not having a bad time, I mean, Paul got his fair share, so that dude was whipped probably five straight times with a cat of nine tails, 49 times less one. So, the, the, you know, one more smack would have killed him, and so they gave him mercy uh, with, with one less smack, all right? And then he was shipwrecked three times. One of my favorite parts about Paul is that he's bitten by a viper, and he should have died, but everybody was, like, waiting to see it happen. Like, is that dude going to puff up? Is he going to explode? And Paul's like, nope, healed. You know what I'm saying? And just keeps walking. Like, that's what's beautiful thing about Paul. Like, you couldn't touch this man because of the freedom that he experienced in the liberation of the gospel. And, and, and y'all, I want to tell y'all this, man. Uh, like, I, I don't care if there's if this place sitting full and if it's just such an intimate circle. You don't need a popular preacher to get up here and tell y'all something deep other than this, is that you can be unstoppable like Paul if you choose to preach to yourself these few things that we're going to see. So let's look at Romans 8. Romans 8. Y'all say word. word. And we're just going to dissect this uh, verse by verse, some phrases. We're just gonna, and I'm just going to kind of show you some things you need to reveal when it comes to preaching yourself, and that is proclaiming the goodness of God to yourself. Therefore, you can walk in this life untouchable, all right? So Romans 8, verse 1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So first of all, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Now, when you hear that word condemnation, What's it make you think of? What is that? I mean, what do, you, what do you think of when you hear that word condemning or condemnation? This is the participatory part, <laughs> the, the participating part of the sermon. Guilty verdict. All right, what else? Huh? Judgment. Yeah. Yeah, that word originally means a damnatory sentence. Yeah, I just cut from the pulpit. Yeah, a damnatory sentence, man. It, it's, it's, it's a word meant for people really uh, it, it's tough. It's wrathful. Like it, and for people that are apart from Jesus, like me and you once were, like it, it, it means damnation forever. It means, it means completely separated. And I don't know about y'all, man, but the, you know, people, I think over time as a student pastor, you have students come up to you and say, hey, I want to give my life to Christ because I don't want to go to hell. And I, and I love what, uh, I don't know who originally said this because a lot of pastors say it, but heaven is not a place for people that are scared of hell. Heaven is a place for people that love Jesus. And so whenever time I have a student come up to me and say, I just don't want to be condemned one day. I don't want to be condemned to hell. Well, do you love Jesus? Well, if it means I'm not going to hell, of course I love Jesus. Well, that's not what loving Jesus is. Being scared of something, it means you're buying into something that's beautiful. You're buying into something that's good news. You're not just fearful of what's going to come if you're not. Well, my parents are in heaven. They've been baptized. And so because they're no longer condemned, I don't want to be that either. And it's no longer about Jesus anymore. It's about you. 
It's about you just wanting to risk and not, or it's about you not wanting to finish or, or take any kind of punishment that's going to be a threat to your soul. And so it's a, it's a hard word. And, and honestly, when he says, therefore, there is now no con- condemnation, and he's alluding to a lot of previous stuff when he's talking about grace. And, and so anybody that has not experienced the saving grace of Jesus are condemned. And so here's the first thing you need to preach to yourself, y'all. Um, Jesus made, and this is, this is you talking to you from the gospel. Jesus made me no longer condemned. That's number one. Jesus made me no longer condemned. It's out of the text. There's doubt, no, for, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, meaning that if you've surrendered to Christ and you know for a fact that he's your Savior, not only Savior, but Lord, that, that means you're no longer condemned, you're saved. And so in Jesus, all right, I'm no longer condemned. And so some, some ways that I think that we condemn ourselves is we say things, um, uh, you know, uh, we, we tell ourselves, I think a few things I said last night, we tell ourselves we're worthless. We tell ourselves that you're not good enough. And so what Jesus would tell you is, no, no, you're no longer condemned. Because Jesus can look at every single one of us and say, you know what? You're no longer condemned because I was condemned for you. Like the wrath and the sin that was supposed to be uh, on you and the debt that you were supposed to pay, I took it. I was condemned for you. And that's Jesus speaking to us and saying that, and that's Paul saying there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus, look, look guys, people cannot condemn you. Satan can't condemn you. Hey, you can't condemn you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus, even when you tell yourself, you know, whatever you say, you, whatever you call yourself, however you want to look at yourself in the mirror and say, that person's worthless. So you can't even condemn yourself. You're still not stripped from the hand of God. And so let's, you got to understand this part, and this is the beauty of grace, and this is why Paul can take no credit for even this chapter that he wrote, because it was birthed by the Lord Jesus saying, you're no longer condemned. You know what? You not only escaped condemnation, you escaped condemnation because Jesus pulled you out of it. That's the beauty of the gospel. Like if you, were, if you were in a pit, and that's just comparing other religions, if you were in a pit and Allah worked by or Muhammad or some other religion and they would see you in the pit, they would say, hey, you got to work your way out. But Jesus comes down in the pit and pulls you out. That's the beauty of grace. I am no longer, through Jesus, Jesus made me no longer condemned. And some of the things you got to do when it comes to being no longer condemned, students, is this, is that you got to identify the lie that Satan's telling you, that you're worthless. You need to reject that lie. And here's what you need to do. Replace that lie with, no, I'm not condemned. You got to learn to preach that to yourself, especially with this generation, y'all. And everything that we see, even when, even when, when somebody's not meeting or satisfying us or somebody's not uh, meeting a certain uh, expectation or if we didn't get that many likes on something or we didn't get that many compliments on something, that, that, those are ways that we can condemn ourselves. We need to preach to ourselves. No, 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 no. Even those petty things, I'm no longer condemned in Christ Jesus. He took that condemnation for me. And so I don't have to condemn myself, and we do it all the time. Think about how you talk to yourself. And that's why it's essential to preach to yourself. Because the more you listen to yourself, as I alluded to last night, the more you listen to yourself, the more you start to believe yourself that there's a lie that Satan wants you to believe that you're no longer good for anything. No, in Jesus, I'm no longer condemned. I'm no longer condemned, all right? And he says, because you're the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. I'm rescued from hell. I'm rescued from not just burning, but eternal separation from God. That is the worst thing about being departed from the Lord is the separation from the love that the Father wants to give us. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus being, uh, Jesus condemning, being condemned for me. And so here's, here's the second thing. Not only Jesus, all right, through Jesus, I'm no longer condemned, but Jesus changed me. 
Like, your life is changed if you're in Christ Jesus. Like, if you're, a new, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Y'all, stop living in the past, man. Stop allowing sin to overtake you and think you got to go back to something that God died to set you free from. Look at verse 3. It says this. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned, you see that word? He didn't condemn you. What did he condemn? Sin, all right? He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Verse 4, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us uh, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Verse 6, now, the mind is set on the, the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Y'all keep looking at it. Verse nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ. He does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Verse 11, this kind of ties verse 3 through 11 all together. It says this, and if the spirit of him, of him all right, and now the, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Y'all, a changed life is the difference between a, 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 is a changed life is the difference between salvation and a lost person. Like I truly believe, the reason I believe uh, Jesus Christ saved the disciples' lives is because of this. I think as Jesus was walking with them through life, all right? The moment Jesus was captured, the disciples scattered like a bunch of roaches, man. They cowardly left. But you know what? You know how I believe the resurrection? One, there's a lot of arguments. But after they saw him after the resurrected life, they all were martyred for their faith. So the moment he was taken, it was, oh my gosh, they just took Jesus. The moment he revealed to himself after the resurrection, they went on to be martyred for the gospel because they were changed. Like even, even doubting Thomas, who we like to give a hard time, went to be one of the greatest evangelizers in, in India. And guess what? He was speared. He had a pole thrown to him because he was a gospel follower, because he proclaimed the name of Jesus. You think he did that because they stole Jesus' body out of the tomb and said, hey, we're going to die for this to make sure people knew we were real? No. What about John, the apostle of love? Like the dude was dipped in oil. And he was, he was sent, and, and because he didn't die, they exiled him. What about Peter? He was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. You've got people all the time dying for the, the good news. You know why? Because they were changed. Like, because of a resurrected Jesus, I'm a resurrected person. Do you get that? For Galatians 2.20, it is because Christ has been crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. And, the, and, and now that he has resurrected, now that he has come out alive, that means that death was my death too when I've given my life to Jesus. And now that resurrection is my resurrection because Jesus awakened me. You remember we talked about revival earlier. Jesus opened my eyes. I didn't do that. I didn't go looking for him. Romans 3.11 says not one searches for God. He opens my eyes because in my flesh, I'm not searching for Jesus. I'm searching for my desire. I'm searching for me to get uh, what I want to get on. I want to get my shine on. I don't want anybody else helping me. And so God opens his eyes and changes them. Because of a resurrected Jesus, I am a resurrected person. 
A lost person is enslaved to sin. I'm not. It says, it says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring mortal bodies to the life through his spirit within you. Then it talks about condemning the flesh and the flesh being a slave to sin. We are no longer slaves. That means we're chains. That means we're no longer a slave to sin, but we're chained to Jesus. We have a new master, and in that master there's freedom because we live in the spirit. I am not my past because God's given me a future in Jesus. You see, here's the thing about it, y'all, here, because here's the thing about condemnation, just going back to that deal. Sometimes we, we don't live in the freedom of conviction because, you know, as a Christian, you're right, when you sin, it's like the way I like to, this is not, I don't know if this is completely accurate, um, but the way I like to tell students how the Holy Spirit works, and like I said, this is completely just an analogy, more an illustration, but y'all ever seen those Sour Patch Kid commercials? You know what I'm saying? Like when the Sour Patch Kid is like, he cuts the little girl's hair off. It's like, what are you doing? He's like, ha ha. And then he drops, the, he drops the scissors, and then he gives them a hug. Like, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he kind of guts you when you sin. But then he's there to allow you to say, hey, y'all, that was conviction, but I'm not condemning you. Wake up. Let's move. Here's grace. Like, this thing about the Holy Spirit is conviction hurts sometimes, but it's not condemnation. Rest free in the conviction of being a new person and hating sin, not in the, 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 the slavery to condemnation, which Satan wants to bring you. Here's what I would say. Guilt says I, guilt says I made a mistake. Shame says I am a mistake. Grace says I'm forgiven. I'm going to say that again. Guilt says I made a mistake. Shame says I am a mistake. Grace says I'm forgiven and I'm changed and I'm new. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's right out, that's right out of Romans, man. I'm no longer condemned. Guilt condemns me. Shame condemns me. Grace says I'm forgiven and changed in Jesus. And that's something to be excited about. I'm no longer a slave. We just sung about that. But I wonder how many of us sing that, but we're still chained to our sin. God himself sets us free. He resurrects and gives us a new life. So not only Jesus made me no longer condemned, Jesus changed me. You walk up to friends, I'm telling you, amen, when you, when you come to faith in Christ, I tell my students all the time, be bold about it. Even if they don't believe you, just wait. You're going to see a resurrected life. You're going to see something new. You're going to see change. And it's because of Jesus. Here's the third thing. And I love this, y'all. This is, this is beautiful. God adopted me as his child. So one, I, you know, Jesus made me no longer condemned. Jesus changed me. And the third one is God adopted me as his child. It's straight from the text. Look at verse 12. Everyone say word. Y'all stay with me, baby. Let's do this. Like I know it's been a long day. Verse 12 says this. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death uh, the deeds of the body, you will live. And for all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Mm. I'm going to read that again. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of what? Adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You see that? He establishes a relationship with us by receiving the Spirit of God into our souls. He picked you. Like, he, he picked you. He's like, 
yeah, I'll take her. I'll take him. He's mine. I sent my son Jesus to die for them. He's mine. I'm taking him. He's Abba. He's Father. Y'all see that intimacy there? He's my Father. He's my Abba. Like, that's my God. That's my Father. Because two things. One, he claims you as his. Yeah, I, I, I choose that. I choose him. Not that. You're not a that. I choose her. I choose him. He's mine. I want to be their father. That's why sometimes you, you pray. And I, one of the prayers I always thought, Father God, Abba, my Papa, my Dada. It gets that intimate. Like a baby calling for his daddy. Daddy. That's my father. That's my father. Because here's what's crazy, y'all. Like, y'all remember when y'all was born? <laughs> I don't either. And I, and I don't have kids. And so I don't, I don't have that luxury of talking about my experience with my child. But I'll tell you this. Um, I, I know for a lot of you who've had children, you've probably, you know, you, 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 your baby came out in the most disgusting way. Um, but, man, as soon as you saw that baby, you loved it, didn't you? I'm, I know some of the guys back there. How many of y'all have kids right here? Just, just one of you? Okay, cool. But I, but I can tell you. I see you back. How many you got, bro? Okay. So you can imagine that dude, when he sees that baby, he cried like a baby, like a baby, right? Yeah. But let me ask you this, Joe. That baby has not been able to, like, when that baby comes out, that baby ain't athletic, right? Like, you, you, you didn't see any, you haven't seen anything in that baby that, 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 like, screams out to you that, man, this, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're looking at your baby, you have no idea if they're going to be a basketball player, a ballerina, a worship leader, but you loved her anyway, right? Or him. You know what's beautiful about being adopted? You realize before you were born, before you even had a chance to move or even fail in your life, God looked at you and said, I choose you. Think about that. Like, as much as we fail, like, it, like I just can imagine one day having a baby, like that person has not even had a chance to do anything yet and I already love her, I already love him, whatever. Like, God saw you and said, before the foundations of the world, like, don't get scared by that. I, I, yeah, I want her, I want him. And you, you, haven't had a, you haven't had a chance to fail yet. And he's already said, yeah, I'm adopting her. I'm adopting. That's the beauty of that verse. Like, you're, you're Abba Father. Like, so earlier, me and Katie, I was at the uh, coffee bar up the road. Um, and, uh, and I told Katie I was there. And she came, and I was just working on some stuff and uh, just getting ready for tonight and just praying over y'all. Um, and so I look at her, and I don't know, Katie's just like this, but she pulls out a banana. It's like it was bruised up. It looked like somebody started hitting it with a hammer. It, like, it was just like, I was like, Katie, that's disgusting. What are you doing? Like, like you know you're going to open that. It's going to smell disgusting. It's rotted. Like, what are you doing? Like, for some reason, our family doesn't believe in expiration dates. Like, it's, it, like the day of, if I see an expiration date, it's going in the trash. Like, I, I don't play with that stuff. I've, been, I've gotten sick before, like, for real. And so all of a sudden, I start looking at it. I'm like, why are you going to eat that? Like, why, who, would, who in the world in this room would eat that right now? She peels it, starts downing it. And so I literally was upset, but then the Lord just kind of convicted me. He goes, you know what, Griff? I said, you realize you've been that battered and bruised, and I'm sure people have asked who would want this kid, but I still chose you? Like, you were that beat up? Like, you were a sinner even when you entered this world. You were battered, bruised, beaten, and I looked at you. Other people saw scum. Other saw people. Other people saw an arrogant basketball player who thought he was all that, and they didn't, yeah, they may have not want to hang out with you because you were pitiful. But you know what? I still chose you. I'm adopting you. You're mine. Yeah, it goes that deep. 
damaged goods, yeah, God will take them. You realize Jesus chose unintellectual morons to change the world? Like, like one, he, he chooses fishermen. Which being a fisherman is not bad if you fish. That's not what, he, what he's saying is like you realize the disciples were a bunch of misfits and a bunch of rejects. They weren't able to follow a rabbi because they couldn't pass tests. And Jesus says, yeah, I'll take them. Like, think about it. Like, Jesus went and pulled fish, uh, uh, fishermen. He went and pulled Levi, Matthew, the, the tax collector, who would steal money from people. And he wouldn't have booths right by the sea when people would come in and take more money. And then he, 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 he gets a, a zealot. And you have a zealot and a tax collector who butt heads like crazy. And God's like, yeah, I'm going to use both of y'all. Y'all might want to kill each other at first, but I'm about to. Like, Jesus chose broken people to do his will. You know why? Because his love is not dependent on what you can do for him. Your love, his love is not dependent on how in shape you are or how, many, how much success you have. It's dependent on his love for you. He chooses you and adopts you. The other cool thing about him being my dad, like when I was in, when I was in uh, pre-K kindergarten, all right, my dad's about 6'5". I told you, my voice is deep. His voice is deeper. I told you, if I hear his voice, I think it's God talking, all right? And so back when I, if I would get bullied, um, man, I, hey, man, can I tell you about my pops real quick? Like, I, and this is, of course, I wouldn't, this was sophisticated. It was more like, hey, man, let me tell you about my pops, you know what I'm saying? But just, just for the sake of the story, like, hey, can I, tell you, can I tell you about my dad? So my dad's 6'5". He played basketball, um, and you're shorter than me, bullying me. My, my dad could take you on. Like, do you brag about God like that to Satan? Like, do you brag about God like that to your issues? Do you tell the size of your problem about the size of your God? Do you talk about your dad like that? Have you met my Abba? Have you met my father? Yeah, he created the world. He created you too, and he can snap you out. Like, it's okay to boast in your father that he's not only chosen and loving me, but, man, he can protect me like a loving father does. He chooses me. So, so like I said, you know, Jesus made me no longer condemned. That's, that's preach to yourself, one. I'm no longer condemned. No one else can condemn me. Satan can't condemn me. I can't even condemn me because Christ saved me. Second one is Jesus changed me. I'm no longer my past because God's given me a beautiful future because he's given me a new life and that old nature's buried. And there is a, there is a absolute difference between an old nature and a new nature. If you're walking in Jesus and you're feeling convicted and you know there's a path to walk and you realize the word of God is trying to get your attention and you have remorse for your sin, you have a desire to see people to grow to Jesus, have assurance that you're changed. Third thing is Jesus, um, uh, God adopted me as his child. Here's, here's the fourth thing. Jesus gives me courage in the face of calamity. Now you're about to read something real quick because it's crazy. Jesus gives me courage in the face of calamity. All right, so let's read this, verse 18. Everyone say word. The rest of the chapter will probably be some of the most favorite verses of people. Verse 18 says this. This is Paul. Like I said, Jesus gives me courage in the face of calamity. It says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. 
Verse 23, not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, now in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Verse 25, now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weakness. Mm. That's good. Because we do not know what to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, here comes verse 28. Here comes everyone's favorite verse in America. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Amen. Who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. For those he foreknew. This is where it gets scary for some people. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among my brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So once again, Jesus gives me courage in the face of calamity. So I want to talk about that part real quick. And so when I was a freshman in college, okay, um, I had just moved to Northwestern State University. Like I said last night, I was a demon. And so I moved to campus. And so I had been dating somebody at the time. We had broken up, but uh, she had told me over July, this was uh, 2008, almost nine years ago, which I cannot believe. She had told me like, man, this struggle because she said she had developed a lump under her chest. And so that was kind of scary because, I mean, could it possibly be breast cancer? Could it be something crazy? And so I literally, uh, in August or September of 20, uh, 2008, you know, I asked myself a dumb question. I said, I wonder if that, like, transfers. You know what I'm saying? Like, we dated and everything. Like, I wonder if that somehow, like, just, like, just floated up in the air and just got in my, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wonder if that could happen. Stupid question, right? So anyway, months go by, um, and all of a sudden I start feeling like this big, this, like this pain in my chest. Like, for real, I'm, I'm dead serious. And so I started feeling around. It wasn't just in my chest. It was under my, I don't know if there's another way to say it, so I'm just going to say it because everyone's going to laugh anyway. It was under my nipple. Um, and, so, uh, and so this knot starts forming under my nipple, and I'm like, what is that? Okay, I'm just not going to worry about it. It's going to be okay. And over time, it just started getting bigger. And so I looked in the mirror, and I realized that this nipple, <laughs> or, <laughs> is there another way to say nipple, uh, is bigger than my left nipple. All right, what's going on? And it still hurts. And I was like, you know what? I don't feel stupid for asking that question. Does it transfer, all right? And so I started feeling around, I said, ah, it's going to be okay. And, and me, the funny thing is me and my roommate Evan would make just funny, stupid, hilarious videos. Half the time it was out my shirt on and you would see it in the video, like this chest big and this one, it was just weird. And so all of a sudden I, I go home for December that, that Christmas and my little, my little brother are wrestling and he nails it. And I just started feeling this excruciating pain because it's been three months of not telling nobody about it. And so I walk in, my stepmom's a registered nurse and I walked in, I said, I said, Tanya, I said, uh, I haven't told nobody about this for three weeks because I thought it would eventually go away. And I showed her, I said, but I have a knot under my nipple. And, uh, and so anyway, so she took, so she said, all right, we need to go check that out. So the next day uh, we go to the doctor. All right. And y'all, I'm going to be real. Like, I, I don't like needles. I will, if, if a lion or a robber walked in here right now, I would attack them and die for every single one of y'all. I'm a fighter. But when it comes to little sharp pains, I'm a pansy. All right. I had a headache earlier. I was like, Katie, it hurts so bad. It, it it probably don't hurt that bad. I'm just a weenie when it comes to sharp pains. And so anyway, so I walk into the doctor. They had made me, I had to take my shirt off, just like Jacob Black and Twilight. You know what I'm saying? It's so always like, what's up, ladies? And so anyway, and so dude brings out, he's like, all right, let's check it out. So he was looking at it. He was kind of touching it a little bit. And I was like, bro, it's starting to hurt, man. He goes, all right, man, well, I got to figure out what that is. We got to stick some needles in it. 
I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. And what's crazy is they knew my faith. And I want to tell you this. If you ever tell somebody how, how strong your faith is in God and, and share the gospel, but then people walk in with needles and you start crying like a baby, you've lost your witness. Okay, so, so anyway, he brings in three needles. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. And so my dad literally is having to hold me down while that dude sticks three different needles in this knot under my nipple. All right. And so he's just going in there. I'm freaking out. I'm shaking. I want to punch somebody. And, and so he's just sticking them in there. Y'all, I got pale. I almost passed out three times. Man, I wanted to throw up. And it was just, it was, I, it was just so agonizing because I was fighting to get out of it. I was like, Dad, you ain't stronger than me. I was only a buck fifty at the time. And so, and so I'm just, you know, and so literally, like, and, and it was all said and done. I was calm. I was finally getting my color back. You know, we went to Catfish Cabin up the road. I got my fish in. And so, man, it was just one of the most excruciating times of my life trying to figure out what the heck that is. Um, later to find out, uh, it, it was it ended up being a benign mass. I was able to get it out during surgery, uh, which that was an experience of in itself. But 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 why do I tell you all this? Why do, why do I kind of tell them my experience with surgery and that? I think a lot of times, um, God is allowing us to go through something, whether it be affliction, whether it be pain, whether it be circumstance. And a lot of times we're sitting there trying to fight to get out of it, rather than asking God how to use us in it. And so just like my, my illustration, sometimes the father has to hold us down because we're squirming to get out of pain. And yet God is saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to allow you to go through affliction in order that you may gain courage for the next time. I guarantee if I walk back into another uh, hospital, I can be like, you know what? I took this before. I can do it again. I'm still going to squirm. But you know what? I've been through this before. And I think sometimes God's got to hold us down in love because we're so adamant about getting out of our pain, yet we see where it says all things work together for the good of those who love him. Like even, yes, even pain, even tribulation, and we just want out. And God's like, no, I'm not going to take you out. I'm going to keep you in so my glory will be displayed through me, through you, because it ain't about you. You realize going through this now is going to be a testimony for somebody later. You realize that the affliction you're facing now is something bigger that I'm going to paint for the people around you to see. Quit squirming. Allow God's, I love to call it from Lecrae's album, uh, Rehab, allow his sanctifying surgery to cut you. He, he, he doesn't beat you. He, he, he cuts, he mends, and, and, and here's a, a few ways he does that. Can I give you all uh, three, uh, you know, a good old Baptist preacher is going to give you three points, and they're all going to start with the same letter. But what, is it, what does it mean all things work for together for those who love him? Like when you look at this text, what is it like? Does that mean everything's going to go my way as I just described? No, not by no means. But there are three things I think he's talking about when it comes to all things because Paul has faced it all. Number one is tests, trials. Psalm 119, uh, Psalm 119.71 says that our afflictions can lead to learning. Y'all ever been in school and y'all, you ever hear y'all's teachers say, use the test to take the test? Have you ever been in school and people said that? So when I was in school, my teacher used to say that. I said, what in the world are you talking about? You can't cheat on a test using a test. That's not what she was saying. She was saying, hey, there's going to be out of this 25 to 30 problem uh, test, you're going to see some similarities in certain questions that might help you answer another question thing about Paul is you realize in Philippians when he says that I have learned to be content in all things, you realize he had to learn it. Paul had to go through some things to finally learn contentment. He just didn't wake up one day and say, I'm content. Nah, all the things he went to, he learned contentment. 
he learned that he can use the test to take the test. For James 1 says that uh, consider pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, the tests of many kinds, because you know that the, that the perseverance of your face endures and it's going to get bigger. It's going to get stronger. You have to go through tests to grow and conform to the image of Jesus. God never said he wanted you to be happy. You get that, right? Now, he says be blessed, which means more than happy in the Beatitudes, but God didn't, does not exist to make you happy. He's come to make you joy and to conform you into the image of Jesus, and sometimes you're not going to be happy. Sometimes it's going to, I'm just going to say it, sometimes it's going to suck. Sometimes it's going to hurt. But at the end of the day, you know what, God, you're going to use me. You know why? Because I'm going to be able to use this test the next time I go through something. I'm going to be able, and I was talking to Sarah earlier, I'm going to be able to use whatever pain I had, and I'm going to be able to use it as a testimony to reach people. People are going to be able to come to Jesus because I have something that I went through. Use your test to take the test. They are the things that forge us in the name of Jesus. Here's the second thing. All things work together. What are our triumphs? I ain't going to lie, y'all. Like, I can't even handle my triumphs right. Sometimes when I have victory, I just want to boast to myself. I did that. But even in our victories, God's trying to remind us, hey, I gave you that victory. The victories that we have, the triumphs that we have, the way that you're more than a conqueror, the way that you conquer Satan and sin, and the way you move from A to B, the, mo- the, the more you conform to my image and the more you conquer that addiction or you fight that sin, I gave you the strength for that. Boast in me because only God is boastworthy. The third thing is thorns. <laughs> That'll pierce you, pun. So not only tests, not only triumphs, but our thorns. You realize when Paul in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians says that, hey, I, I was given a thorn in my flesh in order that I would not be conceited. But God asked God to take it away three times. And he didn't, for he said, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. I told you earlier when we were talking in the session that I struggle with anxiety. I truly believe that my anxiety is a thorn. And whether you agree with that, it don't matter. All I know is I've asked God to take it away. But what did I say earlier? I would not be the man I am today have I not drawn near to Jesus because of that struggle. And like Paul said, there's a thorn in my flesh. Lord, please take it away. There's a messenger tormenting me. God says, hey, man, I know you're weak, but my power is going to make your weakness strength. <laughs> That's beautiful. He uses tests. You're either in a test right now. You're experiencing victory. Sometimes that victory is just you're having just good days, but sometimes it's going to be thorns. It's going to be something that you struggle with that you want God to take away, but God leaves it. You know why? Because it's brought to you to your knees in desperation for Jesus to be your strength. He uses tests. He uses triumphs. He uses thorns because all three of those things work together for the good, for the good. Here's the the fifth thing preach to yourself. So once again, just kind of review. One, Jesus made me no longer condemned. Preach that to yourself. Jesus changed me. Preach that to yourself. God adopted me as his child. Preach that to yourself. Jesus gives me courage in the face of calamity. So no matter what I face, I know I'm going to be able to go through something better the next time because God's giving me the strength to do it now. This one is God called to me. So look at verse 30 through 36. It says this. Everyone say word. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he's also glorified. Verse 31. But then, ooh, it's about to get real. This is, like I said, every, the deeper we get into Romans 8, the more popular this verse becomes. When 
What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written because you are being because of you we are being put to death all day long we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered no we'll get there in a second but look God called me so before the foundations of the world like I said he loved you he called you y'all listen to me don't allow the discrepancy or the frustrations of this verse of he foreknew who he predestined don't allow that to work against you. Don't allow some hyper-Calvinist to use that against you. Use it for your good. That means that before, like I said earlier, before I was a substance, before I was even born, before I could even work for salvation, God saw me and said, I want him. I love him based off the love of Jesus. Y'all, that stirs my heart as a pastor. Because if I'm supposed to be blameless, I'm out. So I need the electing love of Jesus. I need to admit, no, God saved me. God called me out because I didn't choose him. I chose to follow him because his love saved me. That's why we must boast in God because there's nothing in me that can save myself. Like, y'all, that, 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 that can actually work for you. You don't have to get upset at that. Like that, the fact that God looked at you and said, I love you, I want you, I pick you because you're, mm, I, I just love you. If your dad or your mom ever looked at you and just said they loved you so many times, you're like, Dad, stop. Mom, that's embarrassing. But how, but how beautiful is that? That even John the apostle, John the disciple would say, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. That's amazing. You talk about nicknames. He nicknamed himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Not Griff. The disciple that Jesus loved. Like, you can, you can use it and say you, you can't get past the fact that he knew, that he knew he was going to choose you because he loves you. It's a beautiful grace. I am Pastor Griff. I am Derek Griffon. Jesus loves me. Jesus chose to love me. It's a beautiful doctrine. Because the funny thing is about this book, y'all, like and after we talked about it a little bit last night, but man, and, and, and one of the, some of the things that even Joe was saying earlier about just loving this book is that the theme of this book is not your love for God, it's God's love for you. That even while we were yet sinners, <laughs> Christ died for you. Like, like that's the beauty of, of what I just said, how God called me, is that it's not about, his love for me is not dependent upon my works and love for him. He loves me because he's God. And God is love. And he sent his son because he didn't want to be without you. He didn't need you by no means. He does not need me up here preaching right now. But he loved me anyway. God called me. Sixth thing is this. Jesus made me more than a conqueror. Hey, this is about to get real. About to get amped up. It says this, verse 37. Jesus made me more than a conqueror. He says this, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things, presence, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Once again, we are more than conquerors. Listen, even when you lose battles, you're still not conquered. Even when you fail. Because listen, students, here, and I love what it's said like this, that, y'all, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And we're fighting from a victory that can't be unwon. Jesus has already defeated death. He's already conquered the grave. It can't be unwon. Even if Satan holds a battle over you, Jesus, Satan still knows his end. The beautiful thing about preaching the gospel to yourself is also saying, Satan, you might remind me of my past, but you have a future, bro. You're going to be in a pit one day forever. Like, y'all, y'all realize that it's, it's, it's holy trash talk when you talk to Satan like that? Uh-uh, not today, Satan. You know, I, I'm no longer condemned, but you're going to be one day. Like, do you ever just talk to Satan and your enemy just like that where it says, no, I'm more than a conqueror. Yeah, you may have won this lust, war, this lust battle. Yeah, you know what? But grace saved me. He's pulled me out of that. And you're going to be condemned one day while I'm standing here free. Not today, Satan. I'm not conquered. You are. Not today, Satan. Jesus rose up and he moved and he conquered death and sin. And one day you're going to be in a pit forever and I'm going to be praising Jesus for the rest of my life because I am no longer a slave to my sin. I'm no longer a slave to the enemy by which you try to put on me. I'm not even a slave to my own thoughts, God. I am no longer condemned because I'm more than a conqueror because Jesus conquered the grave. That's what he did. And that's beautiful. That is worth trash talking to the enemy. Holy trash talk. Tweet that later. But think about it, y'all. If you preach all these six things, and these are things that when I was prepping this, it's things I wrote in my Bible. It's in my note-taking Bible. And Jesus, Jesus made me no longer condemned. I'm no longer a slave to my sin, Father. I don't have to tell myself that I'm worthless because you saved me. Jesus changed me, meaning that my life is now resurrected. I'm now walking a new life. My people that can throw sin in my face, I can throw Jesus at them. I can tell them about the good news of the gospel because I'm resurrected. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. God adopted me. He claims me as his, and then his spirit gives me assurance that Jesus picked me and adopted me. God called me. He looked at me and said, I love you. I know you're going to fail in 13 years. Like, that's the beauty of the gospel, students, is that no matter what you're doing now or, or, or have done, or no matter what you do that God already knows you're going to do in the future, because we all know we're going to sin, he still called you. That's the beauty of the gospel. He still called you. And then Jesus made me more than a conqueror. Satan, get back. Because you ain't the owner of me. Grace has saved me. Grace has changed me, and you have no say in this life, and kick his tail to the curb. Don't allow him to manipulate you. Stop listening to the enemy. I think some of us listen to the enemy way too much, more than we listen to Jesus. Don't allow, to, don't allow Satan to take that from you. He can't. He stands condemned forever while you stand in the presence of Jesus now and forever. Preach these things to yourself. Don't forget them. Preaching the gospel yourself is preaching the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of the cross to you to know that Jesus absolutely did die. And I'm a testimony that I'm a new creation because I truly believe the resurrection. It happened. And if you can depend upon that daily, who's going to touch you? What person is going to argue with you and walk out and act like they just want an argument when you can say, nah, uh 
To live is Christ, to die is gain. The suffering I'm going through right now is not compared to future glory. Like, y'all, preach that to yourself. Talk holy trash to Satan. Dive into the word and make sure he is absolutely the center of everything that you're doing. And you'll just breathe. Like I said yesterday, make sure God starts your day. Make sure God sustains your day. And make sure God has the last say in your day. Don't allow Satan to be the last person that speaks to your life. You can just breathe when you preach to yourself the good news of the gospel. You're no longer condemned. You're changed. You're more than a conqueror. Like, it, like, you're, like believe that about the truth of the gospel. It changes the game where you can preach that to yourself. Your worries start coming in? No. Consider the lilies and the birds. Consider the lilies in the field. Consider, consider the bird in the air. They know the spin, no toil. They, they don't worry about what the next meal is coming. You know what, God? I'm not condemned, therefore I know you're going to provide for me. Lord, I know I got to walk into a conversation uh, in a few days that I know I need to have a hard conversation with somebody. You know what? Even if it doesn't go well, my identity is not based on that conversation, how well it went. My identity is based on the cross of Jesus. Even if I fail at this one thing that I've been prepping for for a long time, that is still not my identity. It is in the beauty that you've chosen me. Even when you knew I was going to fail at this, you got to preach to yourself. Make that a priority. Make that your life. Stop leaving it up for the people to fill your soul. Fill your own as well. And that's what's so beautiful about Romans 8. Once again, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray.